Hello, and welcome to the Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island's podcast. In this episode, we continue our series in the book of Micah. This lesson was presented by Mr. Lawrence Jeffrey on June 20th, 2021, during Sunday School. The lesson's title is A Message of Hope and discusses Micah chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. You can also visit our site, hopereformedli.net, and find us on Facebook and Sermon Audio for more information. So we've been going through Micah 4, 1 to 5 for the past three months or so, roundabouts roughly, and uh, maybe a little bit longer, I don't know. But we finally escaped that section, uh, and we're moving on into the next pericope, I guess, the next uh, oracle. Uh, And it will try to be cover, well, we will cover 6 and 7 because I'm taking it as a unit today, but we're going to talk about more weird stuff, stuff that <laughs> you might really not have thought about, hopefully. And if you have thought about it, then that's even better, I suppose. But you come listen to me for the weird stuff I know. But uh, let's pray, and we'll read our text, and then I'm how should I take it? Yeah, it's all right. We'll read our text. We're going to read um, Micah 4, 6, all the way to 5, 1. And then we will talk about 6 and 7 specifically. And then we'll do our normal jumping all over the place. All right? So let's pray, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you and praise you and give you all honor and glory, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness, the love that you show to us, Father God, that we do not deserve, Lord God. And we thank you again that you've called us, of all people, out of darkness and into the light of your beloved Son, that you've made us who were once not a people into your people, Father God, who are called by your name. And we pray, Lord, as we read um, more about the times in which we find ourselves, Lord, and the times which are to come, that you will uh, guide us and teach us, help us to grow in grace and in truth, help us to understand our place in this world, Lord God, and how it is that we are to um, act in it, because your hand is guiding all of history, Father. And you have called, put us here, called us to a very great purpose. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read this section. Micah 4, 6, all the way down to 5, 1. Right? In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather all those who have been driven away and those... Um, And those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, 
to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let our gaze I'm sorry, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, they do not understand his plans. And he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron. And it will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. All right. So we're going to be just talking about, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. All right. So, this section is a new oracle, as opposed to the one we covered, uh, 1 to 5. It's a new oracle of hope, um, but it's still tied closely, obviously, to the previous Oracle, right? We have elements that are picked up from the previous oracle, like uh, in four one, the beginning. It shall come to pass in the latter days, and this section opens in that day. That day is those latter days that this section um, is covering, right? It says the Lord will assemble the lame, right? And then in four two, you see the nation saying, "Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord," right? We see where they're going to be assembled. The one mountain of the Lord in Zion. And here, where is God going to gather them? In Mount Zion, according to verse 7 here, right? We have strong nations far away, right? God judges in 4.3. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And here in 4.7 we see, and the lame will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation, right? So there are direct um, verbal... um, ties to the previous oracle. Even the time, uh, well, I guess the uh, liturgical end of this, the worship at the end of this, the doxology, however you want to say it, in verse 5 it says, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And at the end of 4-7, the close of this oracle says, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Right? So there are direct ties to the previous oracle. So in that day is tied to those days, the latter days that the prophet previously spoke of. And we said about those days that those days are what? What are those days? We covered it for three months, so hopefully somebody remembers what those days would be. (laughs) Anybody? What are those days? Yeah, the end of the Old Covenant in those latter days, right? The beginning of the New Covenant, the New Covenant period, the Messianic age, right? 
And we see at the very end of this section, the beginning of the new, right? But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah. Everybody knows that. We read that every Christmas, right? This is that promised great Messiah that's going to come that is spoken of uh, elsewhere. So, declares the Lord, right? It shall, in that day, declares the Lord. That's very important when you see things like that. I know it's something that we read past because we see it all over the place and all the time. Go ahead. So this, the new covenant you're talking about right now? Um, yes. Yep. Right now, what we're reading is, in that day, declares the Lord, and that day is, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the chief of mountains, right? The latter days that's spoken of here is, this is a messianic promise, right? And so, this has to come to pass in the messianic period. Messianic period is a period of Christ, the new covenant era, as we call it, or church age, however, whatever you want to say. Um, so, I will assemble the lame and gather... Oh, wait, sorry. I'm skipping ahead of myself here. Uh, declares the Lord. Right? That's a very important section. That's a very important piece. Remember what Christ said when he's rebuking the Pharisees, right? Have you not read what God spoke to you? Right? See, when it says things like this, it actually, a better translation of this would be like the utter... It'd be just a break completely, right? In that day, break an utterance of Yahweh, and then continue the oracle, right? So it's, it's making it very clear that this is coming from the power, from the mouth of God, right? This is an oracle of the Lord, um, that God is speaking. And when we say God is speaking, we say things like, in the beginning, right, God created the heavens and the earth, right, etc. And then goes on and talks about how God spoke everything into being, so when God speaks, reality takes shape, right? <laughs> so when God says, when it says something like an utterance of Yahweh, and he tells you something like, I will assemble the lamb, this is as sure as the f- ground under your feet. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Hopefully that makes sense. So when, when Jesus is rebuking everybody for their unbelief, or he says to the Pharisees, right, have you not, or in Sadducees and Herodians and everybody else you rebuked, but have you not read what God spoke to you? Right? That's a very powerful rebuke, uh, rebuke. That's like saying, I don't believe that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's as, the word of God is as firm as the chair you're sitting on. Hopefully that makes sense. Okay, so... This is coming from the very power, from the mouth of God. When he says, I will assemble. And remember what's happening at this time. I should actually, we do need to go back because we haven't spoken about that. Who remembers what's going on when Micah was prophesying? Anybody? What was happening at this period of time? Go ahead. Syria had taken over, was taking over Israel and they were surrounding Judah. That is absolutely correct. Thank you. Assyria was on the rise. They were coming up into power, right? And they had already, by this point, um, taken most of northern Israel, and they were taking tribute from Judah. Yes? And 
Why are they going to get shipped off to Babylon? We read that uh, in verse 10 here. You shall go to Babylon. Why? Who remembers? What was the reason? Nobody? Good. Well, they, um, they didn't repent after, um, after this. Mm-hmm. So um, God used the Babylonians to... But why the Babylonians? Do you remember? Because if you remember, Assyria had conquered Babylon as well, all the way down into Egypt. And so Judah, the king of Judah, Hezekiah, right? I believe. Yeah, he wanted to, uh, well, he struck a deal with Babylon and Egypt to rebel against, like it was a tax revolt, right? They wanted to not give tribute to um, Assyria anymore because there was a change in power and they thought it was a good time to break away from uh, being a client state of Assyria while there was power struggles going on, while the new king was securing his rule, right? Uh, Sennacherib. We, we read all, all about, you can read all about this in what Isaiah, was it 45, somewhere around there? Um, about what happens when Sennacherib surrounds Jerusalem. That was, that's what was going on. They were plowing through, Assyria was plowing through uh, Judea and taking people as they went and surrounded Jerusalem. They never conquered, right? God, the angel of the Lord came and struck down the army of Assyria. Remember, we spoke about this? And they left. And then the king was struck down by his own sons. We read about that elsewhere. However, that's what was going on, but they sided with Babylon. God told them not, through the prophet Isaiah not to do that. Don't rely on Babylon. Don't rely on Egypt, right? Continue paying tribute, but they disobeyed. And remember what uh, Hezekiah did? He allowed the envoys from Babylon to come and view his treasury and his army and everything. What he was showing them was, look, I have wealth still and I have power. It's okay to, let's, let's move forward with this, right? So uh, God says, all right, you want to rely on Babylon? To Babylon you go, right? That's what he said to the northern kingdom. The northern tribes were fighting against Syria for the longest, right? Ahab and them always fighting with Ben-Hadad. You guys remember from when we went through that in Kings and what was going on then. Uh, well, the northern kings decided that, hey, you know what? Assyria is powerful. Maybe we could get them because it was... The northern king, the northern tribes, the northern kingdom, Syria, and us Syria, right? And they said, well, if we get Assyria to help us out against Syria, they'll lay off our backs because they'll have to go secure their own northern border, right? So they sought the help of us Syria. And God said, okay, you want to rely on us Syria to help you? Then to Assyria you will go. You want to see how it is to be under their yoke? Fine. And so, Assyria, God gave Assyria power, right? We read about this in uh, Jonah, yes? They repented. God built them up as a powerful, strong nation. And then there was a um, change of power in Assyria. 
a slaughtering of one family and another family taking over. And then in comes Assyria with all this wealth and all this new military might and new military power after God had blessed them. And they started conquering and conquering and conquering and conquering. And they took over the northern tribes. <clears throat> Matter of fact, what Assyria, remember what Assyria did. I don't, we'll just talk about it briefly. I guess when they conquered a place, they wanted to completely dominate the place. So they took people out of that place and transplanted other people there that they had previously conquered, right? To make loyal client states. People that were not tied directly to the land because they understood that, hey, um, people fight for their homes, right? So if they're not in a place where they feel tied to, they're more likely to be submissive, right? So if you could take away a people's history, then they're more likely to submit, something that we see going on right now in our own land and in our own day. That's for some, another, another discussion. Um, <clears throat> if you remove a people's history, right, that's what Assyria was, was trying to do to uh, Judea, Judah. And so God decided that he was not going to allow them to do that. I shouldn't say it that way. But God was not going to allow them to do that. Um, and so he allowed them to discipline Judah. However, God was going to use Babylon to punish them later. Anyways, so that's what was going on at this time. So when God says things like, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted, they understood that, right? Because people were already being taken. Assyria did take slaves. When they conquered a city, they completely conquered it, right? They slaughtered thousands of people and took the rest captive. They were merciless. And so they had conquered um, a bunch of cities. We read that earlier in... Um, in one, right, where Micah lists places, right? Uh, Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all, in Beth, Laafra, uh, Shafir, Zanon, uh, or Zayim, whatever, Bethazel, Maroth, Lachish, right? Um, Akzib, etc., etc., etc. So all of these places they had already conquered. These were places uh, in Judah, or at least along that coast there where they came down. Remember when we were looking at the map, you can go back and listen to those if, if you want. But regardless of what, they had an understanding of what was, what was coming. But the real kicker came in 10, where he says, uh, for now you shall go out from your city and dwell in the open country and dwell, I'm sorry, and you shall go to Babylon, right? That was news, you know, Assyria is on their gates, at their gates, and conquering and slaughtering and taking captives. And then God says that he's going to send them to Babylon. But let's uh, continue looking at, at, at our text. We'll talk about more about that um, later. So God promises to gather back a scattered Israel, those who, whom he himself has afflicted those who uh, he sent into exile, right? Cutting them off from the land and from his holy mountain, right? What's, what's the significance? Who remembers? We talked a bit about exile. That was important. 
What's the significance of exile again? Go ahead, Sarah. Yep, they lost the, them losing their land, but go ahead, continue. Their land was really important. Why was their land really important? Because that's what God's presence was. Right. That's ex- that's absolutely correct. Because remember, good. That was the land God promised them. Yes, that was the land that God promised them. That was the land in which, as Sarah said, that God caused His name to dwell. Right? That was God's country. That was we talk about God's country a lot, but this was literally God's country. <laughs> this was God's land. Um, being tied to that land was being tied to God Himself. Yes. So being exiled from that is like. Adam and Eve, literally, it was literally like Adam and Eve being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, away from the presence of God, yes? So, it's, it's like them being, like Satan, was thrown out of heaven. That's what it's like, yes? Them being kicked out of the very presence of God. They were abandoned by God. But, not really, because God, for the sake of His promises, went into exile with his people, right? Now, that's significant. That's actually very significant because a lot of times when people read something like this and say, and the lame I will make a remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation, the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore, right? Oh, this is just talking about the return from Babylon. But that's not true. That can't be true for a number of reasons. One is because the, nowhere after the return do we see God returning, ever, until God literally shows up in the flesh, right? He never comes back to his temple, that rebuilt temple. Remember, what, what happened at the, at the, uh, when Solomon built his temple? The glory of the Lord filled it, and the fire of God ignited the altar, that never happened at the rebuilt temple. God never came back and dwelt in that temple, right? That's significant. That's, that's very important to understand and remember. So them coming back from um, Babylon, the Babylonian captivity, that's, God promises they'll do that, right? I mean, he says it here uh, later on, right? That God will bring them back. And right, it says it in verse 10, right? You should go to Babylon there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Okay? There's a direct promise that God will rescue them from Babylon. And he does. And he keeps his word. And God does remake Israel. But what we see here is, and the lame will make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation. That never happened in, in uh, the geopolitical sense. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion. And that never happened. In the spiritual sense. Go ahead. It happens in the new economy. Exactly. So, we, what we see here, um, what we see here is part of what Paul calls that mystery, right? That great, that one of those great mysteries he talks about in um, Ephesians. So, in the first oracle, we have all of these nations coming to the mountain of the house of the Lord. And in this oracle, we see God gathering Israel, right, from the seed of 
Abraham by the flesh, gathering them back into uh, Mount Zion, at least a remnant of them into Mount Zion. So this is the nations, the goyim, however you want to say it, and the uh, Jews coming to the same place, right? Come, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. And where does God gather these people? At Mount Zion. And from this point, from here, we see that God makes them into a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Okay. So, yes, go ahead. Sure, absolutely. Uh, when, when the Lord, the God, did come back to rebuild temples, mm-hmm. build it as he did previous, mm-hmm. in the new economy at Pentecost, that's where he built his temple. Yes, that's yes, yes, that's a, that is. Um, but that's not where he comes back. He comes back when it says, and he tabernacled among them. That's where it comes back. When Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Right? That's, where, that's where he comes back to his people. Yes, absolutely will. Destroy this temple. He's speaking of the temple of his body. right? Um, but, but where it says, uh, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore, that is Pentecost. Yes? That's, yes, we need to, to, to remember that. But God coming to his people, because remember how Christ came. He came, yes, it is. It's a very good, thank you for bringing that up, Jerry. Um, remember how Christ came. He didn't come as a conquering king, right, riding on a horse. No, he came as a servant riding on a donkey. Um, huh, I shouldn't say it that way, because that's not necessarily true. Uh, because... A king does ride on donkeys. That's David, right? David rode a donkey to his coronation. So did Solomon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, how do I put this? Christ came as a servant. When he entered Jerusalem, he was going to his coronation. Right? When they placed that crown of thorns on his head, when they put him up on the throne that was the cross, with a servant on his right hand and a servant on his left, yes? Um, when, they, when the wine bearer brought him his bitter wine, you know, when, uh, well, when they threw a, a royal cloak over his shoulders, etc., right? Yes. All of those are images of a king in his court. When you read about the uh, crucifixion, don't think of it as Jesus greatest act of humiliation though it may have been from our perspective in John Jesus says um, and now I enter my glory right talking about when he's lifted up I believe that's what is that John 12 around there um, and now it's time for the son of man to be glorified right talking about his when he's lifted up he's going to draw all men to himself in that section where the Greeks were looking for him so the, the picture that is presented to us is in inverted 
understanding of a king in his court with his retainers and servants around him, jeering and mocking, etc. Right. So, um, those who he it, John is the best at this. Well, Luke is really good too, uh, but the way that John presents, they're different. Each gospel's different in how they present things. They're good at. In, in terms of what I'm talking about specifically, showing it that it's uh, Jesus is entering into his glory, uh, his coronation, his, him, him being enthroned, right? Um, him, him entering into his kingship. In Luke, you see a, a clear picture while he's on the cross, but in John, you see it while he's being tried, John shows very clearly that as, as the pilots trying him, as, as the Jews are trying him, his silence, it shows that he's the one passing judgment. Matter of fact, when, when Pilate says to him, I have the power, don't you know that I have the power? And Jesus says, you have no power except that which is given to you from heaven. And then he says about the Jews that, they have the greater condemnation, etc. Um, he's passing judgment on them. And his silence, he didn't even answer Herod. His silence spoke volumes. Yeah? That's, that's the picture. Like it looks like, from the worldly perspective, that they're passing judgment on him. They're requiring of him all this evidence and speaking on his, def- you know, his defense. But meanwhile, he's standing there quietly and... All of heaven is passing judgment on them. Yeah, that's that's what's being shown there. So that's why it's an inverted image. Um, God, well, Christ is showing us specifically what true kingship looks like. So uh, that's on the side, but <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's good to be reminded of those things. Oh man, we're going way off topic, but. Mm. <laughs> I have more I want to say about that. Uh, you know, I will, actually, I think, because it's important. It's important. Okay. In, in that inverted image that Jesus shows us, he's showing us what true kingship looks like, right? What true kingship actually is. It's important because we see um, in verse 8, right? The former dominion shall come kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. I don't like how that is, is worded. Uh, the daughter of Jerusalem. What does that even mean? The daughter of Jerusalem. What's the daughter of Jerusalem? It should say something more like uh, for the da- for um, for daughter Jerusalem, right? Something along those lines. God's daughter, yeah, it's his child. So, anyways, uh, that's that's the picture that's being presented in, in in that. And which again, it's sort of funny. Kingship for the daughter, yeah, weird, right? Not queenship, but regardless, we could talk about that uh, when we cover verse eight. Um, What does that kingship look like now? The, the Jews understood this specifically. There are texts like this where the kingship's going to return to Israel. Remember what the Jew, uh, Jesus' disciples asked Jesus in Acts, right, when he's about to ascend? At this time, Lord, now will you return the uh, dominion to, to Israel? And they were expecting still a overthrowing of Rome and all of these other things, right? What they didn't understand yet, uh, and what we still don't understand, is that Jesus meant it when he says, right, if you want to be greatest, 
be least. Right? If you want, if you want, if you want to rule, serve. Yeah. Um, that's what Jesus was doing when he died. Right? When he was enthroned there, he was dying for the sins of his people. Right? That's that's the, that's the greatest service that anyone has ever given. And the highest, all the, you know, he was. That's God, right? This is what rule looks like. Rule looks like laying down your life on behalf of your people, right? Now, when we think of honor and we think of um, doing great things, yeah, because I I, I hear people talk about this a lot. Um, want to do something great for the kingdom of God, yeah? Well, then go feed your hungry neighbor, you know? Go wash their feet. Go, as she does, literally wipe their behinds, yeah? Um, That's the highest thing you can do, right? Service. That's the highest. Everything else is just trappings, right? Uh, All the other great things you know, are not as great as that. You have men like Bach, right, making great music or building, and all these other men building wonderful cathedrals. And those are important, and those honor and glorify God, but they're nowhere near as important as loving your neighbor, you know? So just we have to keep those things in perspective, all right? What lasts... And last and last, obviously, the wonderful music and architecture and, and art and everything else, those are, those are wonderful things, but yet they're still made of things that can be destroyed, you know? Um, but that service can't be. It's, 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 again, that inverted thing. So, anyways, um, that's... No, 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 all right, that's okay. <laughs> so... Um, Running out of time once again. Okay. How do we, where do we go from here? And the lame, I will make the remnant. Okay, that's, that's significant. It's not just any remnant, it is the remnant. This remnant right here, when it talks about a remnant, well, I would say that this is specifically talking about the people of Israel. Um, who were scattered, and God called. Remember to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Yeah, that's the remnant. That 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 Jew first. That's what he's talking about here. But what is Israel? The remnant has becomes Israel, and uh, what is Israel? The true Israel of God, the chosen people, all of them. Jew and Gentile. There's no more Jew, as Paul says elsewhere. So we have to remember that as Gentiles, we're grafted into Israel, yeah? We become inheritors of all those promises that this remnant has, right? Paul speaks about this explicitly in um, Romans 11, talking about this remnant right here that Micah is speaking of. And this remnant is the remnant that all of history uh, revolves around, right? 
This is the remnant that is the bride of Christ. Remember, that sounds very uh, egocentric, right? Uh, to say this, like we're part of, like uh, that, that all of history revolves around us. Right? Well, all of history revolves around Jesus, doesn't it? But you have to remember that we're his bride. We are one flesh with him. Right? You can't speak of Christ and, and, and not of his people. Um, we see this everywhere in passages like this. Kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. That's what that means, by the way. Just to, to give you a, a little snippet on that, we'll talk more about that when we get to it. But um, that remnant's very, very important. When we do history, we talk about kings, we talk about princes, we talk about battles, we talk about you know, like, like actual military battles, the shaping of nations, the rising of uh, empires, the collapse of empires, from, all of an, uh, from a geopolitical standpoint. But remember that God raised up Babylon to punish Jerusalem, right? To punish Judah. And then this great empire that conquered like, the ancient Near East and, parts of, uh, and, other, and other parts of almost up into Europe. But anyways, regardless, they conquered. And then 70 years went by that God promised that he was going to punish Israel. And he was done with them. God wiped them out. There were no more. Where is the Babylonian Empire right now? It's in the sands of Iraq, you know, buried. It's gone. Right? But where's that remnant? All over the globe. Right? All over the world. You know, the remnant remains. Those nations come and go. God raises great nations up to punish or bless his people. They're there. Remember what, you know what's interesting? We could talk a little bit about this because I have a couple minutes because I, I wanted to get into um, something, but that's going to take a long time. So I don't want to start it with, there's, with a couple minutes left. So look at Romans 13. I want to show you something. All right. You know what Romans 13 is all about, yeah? That wonderful passage about submission to authorities. What's funny is what people miss, right? Uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Now, listen to this. For he is God's servant for your good. Who's he speaking to? Yeah, he's speaking to the Roman church. You know, the church in, in Rome. That Caesar is there for their good. God institutes governments for his people's good. Right? That's the only reason that they exist. That's interesting, isn't it? Changes your perspective on history, doesn't it? It should. So, uh, going back to Micah, 
what we'll talk about more when we when we uh, get there, right? Um, well, next week I should say it this way, right? And the lamb will make the remnant and those who are cast off a strong nation. That's what we just spoke about just now. Hopefully, uh, tying that in, like we, we're that holy nation, that royal priesthood. Peter Peter speaks of. Um, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. That's what I really want to touch on next week. Um, that's important. Very, very, very important. But um, that didn't happen. That's what that, that, that verse is the reason why I don't think that this can ever be misconstrued with the return from the Babylonian captivity. Uh, because they were still a client state of the Persian Empire, and then a client state of the Greek Empire. And it can't be true uh, be, when they were under the Romans, because remember, remember what they said. I mean, the, the, to, to think that this is, this is the return from that point, the, the return from, I'm sorry, um, from this point is the return for the Babylonian captivity. Remember when Jesus was being held up by Pilate and Pilate said, behold your king. What did they say? We have no king but Caesar. Well, is God reigning over them from that point? No, no, he's not. They gave the lie to that, didn't they? They said, we have no king but Caesar. Caesar was their king. God wasn't. They rejected God. Pilate, a Roman, behold, your king. Here's your Christ. They said, nope, we have no king but Caesar. So was God reigning over them from in Mount Zion, the place where they were standing at that moment? No, he wasn't. So it can't be that, right? So what is this talking about? This has to be talking about what we spoke about in the in four one to five, yeah. Those latter days, that messianic period, where Jesus says, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me," right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So, beginning where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. So, that's the point from where this begins. Right? All right. And then we're going to talk more about the Lord reigning over them in Mount Zion. That's that's what I want to to discuss uh, next week. And probably for quite a few weeks after that. <laughs> All right. Any uh, thoughts, comments, or questions? No? Good? All right. Excellent. So let's pray and then uh, get ready to worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you, Lord, for your word, for the promise of, uh, well, the fulfilled promise of your spirit, Father God. And the surety of your word, that you are a God who does reign. You reign, Lord God, over all of creation. And you installed your Christ, your uh, Messiah, our Lord, at your right hand. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And the governments that you do install, Lord, are for our good. May we remember that, Father God. May we remember as we look around at the chaos of our own day and remember that uh, it is for our good and that you've placed us here 
uh, for a purpose, Lord, and help us to understand it, to remember it. But right now, we are gathered here for a very specific purpose, Father, and that is to worship you, Lord. You are looking for people to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, and we pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth today, Father, that you would be glorified and magnified and and exalted in our worship, that you uh, would hear us while we pray, Father God, that you would uh, be pleased with us as we sing your praises, Lord, and that as we dine at your table, Father, we pray that you would remember us, that you would see us, Father, and as we partake of Christ, Lord, that you would see Christ in us and judge, Lord, the world on our behalf, Father, on Christ's behalf. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.